It is time for some children's church. And so pre-K through fifth grade, adios buckaroos. We'll see you all later on. Go have a good time. And for those of you hanging around for big church, if you've got your Bible with you, would you please open up to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. If you're new to the Bible, uh, maybe new to our service, then I want to encourage you to open up that Bible that's in front of you. There should be a black one in the pew rack in front of you. And I'll give you a shortcut for finding Matthew chapter 5 in that pew Bible. It's on page 858. And uh, we're going to study this passage of Scripture, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. And I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open. We'll refer back to it multiple times and maybe take a few notes this morning so you can think in the week to come on the things that we hear Jesus say this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. What do people think about Jesus? Not the church, not Christians, but I mean specifically Jesus. A recent poll reveals that 76% of Americans affirm the historical existence of Jesus of Nazareth. I was surprised that it was that high. And 84% of people agreed with the statement, Jesus was an important spiritual figure also a surprise. But beyond those two statements on which there is uh, generally wide agreement, there is broad disagreement on who he is and his place in the lives of people. And maybe it's true for you as well that you think of Jesus as important, certainly as spiritual, but does he have any claim on your life? Do you bear any allegiance to him? Do you know anything of his message, or does he simply belong to the ranks of nice people or good teachers like Buddha or Tony Robbins or Oprah? Wouldn't it be helpful if we could have Jesus introduce himself to us so that we could learn firsthand who he is and then decide for ourselves how we are to think about Jesus? Well, we don't have to imagine that exercise because we have a transcript of Jesus introducing himself to a crowd of curious people, and it's right here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Here in the early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we find the beginnings of Jesus' public ministry. If you were with us last week at the end of chapter 4, we're told this about Jesus beginning his public ministry, that he's traveling all over a region called Galilee. Think of Galilee like, uh, like a, a, a county, like the county of Plymouth. Think of the county of Galilee. Jesus is traveling all over that region, and we're told that he's telling everyone the good news about the kingdom of God. He's healing every disease and sickness among the people, and news about him spreads like wildfire around the region. And so people are seeking him out. They're bringing their loved ones who are sick to him to be healed. And it's in this setting, this growing fervor, this announcement of the kingdom and demonstration of the kingdom that Jesus sat down on the side of a steep hill and introduced himself to the crowd around him. 
the things that Jesus said about himself to this crowd, the things we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5, well, these things were new to everyone there. No one listening to Jesus on this day said, ha told you, I knew it. I was right this whole time. I knew exactly who he was. Nothing he said was expected. His view of the world, his understanding of God, the very authority that he carried was all new to this crowd. And think of the crowd that Jesus spoke to on this day. This crowd includes some of those who were his earliest followers, as well as people who were just curious. Most likely, it also included some people who were critics of his. And this crowd of people were impoverished, broken, sinful, cast out, oppressed. They were outsiders. Some might have been power brokers in some small regard. And to this ragtag group of people, Jesus spoke of the blessings of heaven. Jesus introduced himself to them, and he introduces himself to us by describing the kinds of people who are blessed in his kingdom. And so right from the start, Jesus is different from so many people's expectations because he is not merely a dispenser of blessings. He dictates who is blessed. He's not like some heavenly lucky rabbit's foot that will just give us some sort of Christian karma. We put good in the universe and we get good back. That's not Jesus. He decides who's blessed and then he lavishes his blessings upon them. So I wonder as you listen to Jesus this morning, will you find yourself among those who are blessed? My goal in preaching this monumental passage is to move you closer to Jesus. So if you are on the outside considering Jesus, I want you to step closer into knowing Jesus. And if you know a few things about Jesus, then I want you to step into trusting Him as your Savior. And if He is your Savior, then I, I want you to step into His blessing. And if you've been blessed once by Him, I want you to be blessed eight times by Him and for all eternity. And so in order to move you closer to Jesus, I'm going to share with you three groups of people who experience the blessings of Jesus and I hope you'll find yourself in one or more of these groups. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Hear the words of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. This passage is called the Beatitudes, one of the most loved passages of Scripture in the history of the Christian church. We love all the Bible. All of Scripture is incredible, but there are some passages that the church has gone back to time and time again. This is one of those passages. I was a little in my feelings the past few weeks thinking this might be the last time in my ministry, and I've got years to go, that I preach the Beatitudes. Maybe not, but if we stick to our little Sunday schedule for the next several, several years, this is it. What an incredible privilege to get to study and read and to preach this passage. Uh, these Beatitudes are blessings. Jesus speaks blessings for those who are around him, and he identifies three specific groups who receive his blessing. Who are they? And are you among them? Let me share with you these three groups who are blessed by Jesus. Uh, first of all, Jesus gives reversals to those who are weak in the world. The first group he blesses are people who are weak in the world's eyes. And the way he blesses them is by reversing their state of affairs. So our passage begins by describing the setting. In verse 1, Jesus is in the region of the Sea of Galilee. Tradition holds that he is giving this sermon uh, from a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is an extinct volcanic crater, and so there's steep hillsides all around it. They make for natural alcoves where it's easy for a speaker to address a large group of people, sort of like a natural amphitheater. And there was a large group around Jesus on this day. Matthew tells us that there's the crowd of people, and then within that crowd are his disciples. The term disciple certainly means those hand-picked lifelong followers of Jesus. We met a few of them in chapter 4. Um, but Matthew uses the, uses the term disciple to describe anyone who's a follower of Jesus, not just the 12, but anyone who's one of his followers. So that's what I take Matthew to mean here in verse 1 when he says his disciples gathered around him. I think it means all those who are inclined towards Jesus, those who are among his earliest followers. I think of the scene sort of like concentric circles of people. You've got those who are his followers closest to him, and then you have a crowd around them, and that crowd is made up of people who are curious and people who are critics, everything in between. And the crowd around Jesus might have been very impressed with their first sight of Jesus because Matthew gives us this seemingly nothing detail. He tells us in verse 1, Jesus sat down, the people gathered around him, and then he spoke. That act of sitting is an act of authority. It, it doesn't translate to our cultural norms, but in the first century world of Jesus, he didn't summon the people to him, like, hey, gather around, let me, let me tell you about me. That's not what he did. He sat, and then the people gathered around because he possesses authority in this moment to talk about the things of heaven. So in verses 3 to 10, there are eight different blessing statements. And though these 
blessing statements may look random at first, there is a structure to them that helps our understanding. We're going to take them in a, a chunk of four, a chunk of three, and then the last one. That's going to give us our structure for our study this morning. And so in verses 3 to 6, we have the first four blessing statements from Jesus in which he describes people who are weak in the eyes of the world. And who are these people? They are the poor in spirit. They are those who mourn. They are the humble. And they are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says, these people are blessed by him. Now, if I were to stand in front of a grocery store today... And I were to ask random people as they're coming in the store to name four different types of people who are blessed. How would they answer? Some people might answer quickly and say, oh, that blessed people are people that have money. Their bills are paid and financially they're in good shape. Blessed people have fame. Blessed people have a reputation. Blessed people have power. Other people might answer a little deeply, think a little more before they answer. And still they might say, well, blessed people are those who have family or those who have love or those who have kids or those who have their health. No one we would poll in this hypothetical situation would answer the way Jesus has answered here. Which probably means that we should listen more closely to Jesus on this point. Who are these blessed people that Jesus is talking about? Well, first of all, the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Well, the poor in spirit are people who recognize their spiritual poverty. Indeed, their spiritual bankruptcy before God. The opposite of poor in spirit is not rich in spirit, but rather... Poor in spirit is the good thing. Poor in spirit is the positive expression. The negative expression would be self-righteousness. To stand before God and pound your chest and say, you need me on your team. Look at all I've done. Now do good to me. That self-righteousness is not blessed. But poverty of spirit, that's the person who's blessed. The poor in spirit is not something to be lamented. To be poor in spirit is something to be pursued. That We would be these kinds of people who are aware of our sin against God. That's where the blessings of heaven begin for us. We're not called to be perfect in spirit. You're not called to be a green beret in spirit. You're not called to be mighty in spirit, but to be poor in spirit. This is the person who receives Jesus' blessing. And what about those who mourn? And this seems really straightforward. It, it is indeed a promise that's been claimed by many a grieving person, as it should be. Throughout Scripture, God is a comfort to those who grieve. I always go to Psalm 34, 18, which says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And indeed, He is. He counts every tear. He knows our grief well. But the mourning that's spoken of here in verse 4 is a different kind of mourning. In the context of this passage, this is the mourning that is done by those who are poor in spirit. 
Not just those who are sad, but it's the grief that comes with recognizing our sin against God and all of its damage, all of its terror. This is the mourning that comes from an awareness of our sin. Those who are poor in spirit, they know their sin before God and they grieve their sin. They mourn their brokenness. And those who mourn their sin are blessed people. Those who mourn in verse 4 are not people to be pitied. They are people to be followed because they grieve their sin against God. What about the humble? Your Bible might use the word meek in that verse. Well, the humility spoken of here relates to our relationship with God. The humble person is the one who lives in complete dependence on God and total submission to Him. A great example of this sort of humility or meekness in the New Testament is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She told the angel of the Lord in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. That sort of submission, that surrender to God, that's the humility that is blessed by Jesus. And then in verse 6, Jesus speaks blessings for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are metaphors for intense longing. And I don't know that, I can't speak for everyone in the room this morning, but I don't know how many of us have really known hunger and thirst the way a first century person knew it. I don't doubt that there are stories from among us of intense poverty and, and times of desperation um, but for the majority of us, drought only affects our lawns. It doesn't affect our harvest. It doesn't affect our access to food. It doesn't affect our health. And so for the first century person who's listening to Jesus, they all knew the devastating impacts of drought or a bad harvest or lack of access to food. They knew what it was to hunger and thirst and Jesus takes that as a metaphor and turns it to righteousness. You're blessed when you have this intense longing for righteousness, to be like God in your everyday living. Do you see any connection between these four people? There is indeed this thread that runs from the first through the fourth, the Poor in spirit will mourn their sin. They will come humbly before God, turning from their sin and longing for righteousness. These aren't just random groups. This is one and the same person. In what way are these people blessed? Well, they're blessed by God in that He reverses these things that make them weak in the eyes of the world. And so the poor in spirit who know their distance from God, they are given the kingdom of heaven. And those who mourn their sin are comforted by God's forgiveness. Those who are humble are given a king's inheritance, exalted and given these things. And then those who long for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are filled. Back to the grocery store. Excuse me, uh, Mr. and Miss Grocery Store Shopper. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who is blessed? And they might answer, those who are rich, powerful, loved, healthy. Jesus. 
Who is blessed? And Jesus answers, those who know their sin and grieve it and come humbly to God and seek righteousness. I will bring them in, comfort them, exalt them, and satisfy them. You see, Jesus gives glorious reversals to those the world calls weak. Those are the people who are blessed. It's not the only group that's blessed, though. Jesus speaks to us of a second group of people who are blessed. In that next group, Jesus gives rewards to those who live for a better world. There are reversals for those who are weak in the world's eyes. There are rewards for those who live for a better world. So we have eight total Beatitudes in this passage The first four Beatitudes, they all pertain to our relationship with God. The second four Beatitudes all relate to our relationships with each other. So how do we live with God? How do we live with each other? And in verses 7 to 9, there are three types of people spoken of specifically who impact the lives of others around them for the better. And who are those people? Well, in verses 7 to 9, those three groups of people are the merciful. They are those who are pure in heart, and they are peacemakers. What does it mean to be merciful? Well, mercy means not giving the punishment a guilty person deserves. And maybe you've heard us talk about this around here before. Mercy and grace often go hand in hand. Grace is giving the good thing a person does not deserve, Mercy is not giving the punishment a guilty person does deserve. So Jesus speaks blessings for those who are merciful. And why would Jesus want us to be merciful people? Well, it's because he is merciful to us. I mean, don't you remember the first four Beatitudes? We are broken sinners deserving of punishment, but he was merciful to us. And if God is merciful to us, we must be merciful to other people as well. The world loves vengeance and thinks acts of mercy are signs of weakness. But the kingdom of Christ is built on mercy. It's interesting to me that the first beatitude, to be poor in spirit, means that we are aware that we are sinners. But here, to be merciful is to show compassion to others because we're aware that they are sinners as well. We're to be merciful. Jesus speaks blessings also for those who are pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart to other people? Well, the emphasis here is on internal purity. This purity in heart is a sincere and authentic disposition that moves the righteous disciple to live a holy life among other people. Purity of heart is indeed an internal condition, but it has an external manifestation. And in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 5, Jesus is going to spell out in much clearer detail what purity of heart looks like. Purity of heart means the abandonment of lust. It's the abandonment of hate. It's the abandonment of materialism. And these are all things that exist internally before they exist externally. Purity of heart is this internal cleansing from God that results in right living among each other. And in verse 9, Jesus speaks blessings for peacemakers. Last Sunday, 
I had the privilege of speaking at our men's retreat, and this verse, verse 9, was my text. Here's our definition of peacemaking. Peacemaking means this. It's the demonstration of God's love through Christ in all of its depth. It's the demonstration of God's love through Christ in all of its depth. Here's what peacemaking is not. It is not passivity, avoidance, apathy, complacency, or weakness. Peacemaking is exemplified and demonstrated and defined by Christ's death on the cross where he made peace by his blood between you and God. And peacemaking requires self-sacrifice for the flourishing of other people, even flawed people. Jesus blesses peacemakers, not war makers, not vengeance takers. Peacemakers are those who are blessed by Jesus. What do you see in common among all three of these people? Merciful pure in heart, and the peacemakers. What do you see that they have in common? Here's one thing they have in common. They are all reflections of the character of God. He is merciful. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the peacemaker with sinful people like you and I. What a blessing it is to live like him. And what are the blessings that come to these people from Jesus? Jesus says, here's the blessings. The merciful are going to be shown mercy. Now, mercy is not earned by being merciful. We cannot be merciful without first knowing God's mercy to us. But God's mercy to us is a never-ending fountain of blessing to those who belong to him. And the pure in heart, they are rewarded with seeing God. Old Testament people longed for this great privilege. Moses came the closest and he was only able to see the after effects of God's radiance after hiding in a rock. But how remarkable is it that Jesus gives a promise to his disciples, to you, that even old Moses could not experience. You will see God now with eyes of faith And you will see his glory in the life to come. And the peacemakers, the blessing for them, they're to be called sons of God or children of God. And it's hardly surprising that the blessing that comes to peacemakers is to be called children of God because they are seeking to do exactly what their heavenly father has done, loving people with his love. What do you notice that these three rewards all have in common? They're all future tense. First four, present tense. These future tense. They are rewards for a future that begins now for those who are blessed by Jesus. This very day, we know God's mercy and will forever. This day, we see him with eyes of faith and we will forever. This day, we are his children and we will be forever in his eternal kingdom. Jesus is giving reversals to those the world calls weak. Jesus is giving rewards to those who live for a better world. And third and finally, well, Jesus gives rejoicing to those who are crushed by the world. The last of the Beatitudes, 
8 of 8 is about those who endure persecution. And I take verses 10 to 12 to be one singular unit of thought. It's like a beatitude that blossoms. And Jesus gives a lot of attention to this very issue, the issue of persecution. So first few blessings, excuse me, the first four blessings for those who are weak in the world. The next three for those who are living for a better world. This last one for those who are crushed by the world. And isn't it interesting that here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, of all the things he could talk about, of all the priorities he could push to the front, he talks about persecution. And it gets the most real estate of anything else in this section of his teaching. So what is persecution? Let's define this be very clear about it. Persecution is the painful experience of Jesus' followers by those who hate Jesus. It's the painful experience of followers of Jesus by those who hate Jesus. Persecution comes in varying degrees. In parts of the world, Christians face imprisonment, torture, and execution because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. You heard Pastor Steve say as much and pray as much just a little bit ago. Today, this day, you have brothers and sisters around this world who are losing everything because they are followers of Jesus Christ. You thought you were brave for making it to church by 9 o'clock. I'm telling you, they are losing their livelihoods, their homes, their, their very families, and their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Today, every day, people are killed for being followers of Jesus Christ. That's real and intense persecution. But persecution is not just of this most intense variety. Persecution exists on a spectrum of intensities indeed. And so in our corner of the world, we are most likely not to face that sort of most intense persecution, but still, as a follower of Jesus, you are likely to face rejection, slander, and disparaging words. Being a follower of Christ may cost you promotions at work. It might prevent you from admission to some schools or programs that you might otherwise be qualified for. Being a follower of Jesus in some environments will certainly bring hateful speech and maybe even isolation. And I'm thinking especially about Christian students in our schools. It takes real courage to be a public follower of Jesus Christ in our schools. All of them. Real courage. Moms and dads, Grandmas, grandpas, do not forget the intensity that your children step into day in and day out as they try to walk with Jesus in a cultural system that despises everything Jesus stands for. Why will you face persecution? Jesus tells us in verse 10. He says, you will be persecuted because of righteousness. You will make choices to live in holy obedience to God, and doing so will invite the contempt of the world. The very thing you hunger and thirst for, righteousness, will be the reason you are hated by the world. You will be insulted and persecuted and have all kinds of evil said against you because of Jesus. It's fine 
by the world standards to think favorably about Jesus. It's fine, according to the world, to think of Jesus as a good teacher. But the moment you live out the ethics of the kingdom of God, you are going to face real pressure. And so what are you going to do when others call you bigoted, intolerant, or judgmental? What are you to do when the dictator throws you in the prison camp or the jihadi puts the gun to your head? Jesus said in verse 12, be glad and rejoice. Don't retaliate, but show mercy. Don't be bitter and think hateful thoughts about them. Instead, be pure in heart. Don't go to war against them. Be a peacemaker. And don't worry if following Jesus costs you everything on earth because Jesus has a blessing for you. You will inherit everything in heaven. Do you notice anything interesting about this final blessing that Jesus promises to those who are persecuted? This eighth and final blessing is the exact same as the first blessing. Heaven is filled by those who are poor in spirit, who formerly lived for the world and persecuted those who are crushed by the world. Heaven is also filled by those who are persecuted. So persecutors and persecuted are made one family through the merciful peacemaking of Jesus Christ. It's incredible the salvation that Jesus brings. And this is what blessing looks like from him. So Jesus gets on the hill and he took a seat. The crowd gathered around him and Jesus introduces himself to them by describing those who are blessed in his kingdom. And Jesus says, I'm giving reversals to those who are weak in the world, and I'm giving rewards to those who better the world, and I'm giving rejoicing to those who are crushed by the world. Are you in any of these three groups? Are you blessed? No matter your place with Jesus, I can say confidently that you are blessed today by hearing these words of his. And he's introducing himself to you so that you would come out of the crowd, so that you would go from a stranger to God to a child of God. And having heard Jesus' words this morning, will you come closer to him? If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're on the outside looking in, you're curious, I challenge you to learn more. Don't settle for vague ideas of who Jesus is or social media definitions of who he really is. You can read the Bible for yourself or you can talk to a Christian friend or a pastor to learn more about who he is and what he's about. Jesus is so very different from what you think. And he deserves honest consideration. Maybe you've done the consideration, you've done the investigating, and maybe by God's grace you're ready this morning to turn your life to Jesus Christ. And so at, at the end of our service here in just a little bit, I want you to press through the crowd and come up and grab me or grab a Christian friend you're here with. And this day uh, we want to pray with you as you give your life to Jesus Christ. He died for your sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Salvation comes through no one else but Jesus, who loves you, loves you so much and knows you by name. And so today, would you turn your life to him?
And maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but today he calls you closer. Maybe it's closer in repentance from sin, or maybe it's closer in living a holy life that impacts others, or maybe it's closer so that you might persevere the pressures of this world. Today is the day to know the blessings of Christ because, listen, there is one more great reversal to come. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sat on a mountain and he spoke blessings to all those gathered around him. But Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 describes a future day where Jesus is seated on a throne and we gather around him And instead of him speaking blessings to us, we bless the one who has blessed us by singing blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, bless us. Not in the way the world wants to be blessed. Bless us that we would be poor in spirit. Take us from our uh, self-righteousness and all our self-assuredness and convince us of our spiritual poverty. Jesus, bless us by granting us Christian tears over our sin. Bless us by humbling us so that we wouldn't try to rescue ourselves by our own effort, but that we would come to the throne of grace. Bless us by giving us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, not for our flesh, not for our wants, but for the things of your kingdom. Bless us by making us merciful because we've been shown so much mercy by you. And bless us to make us pure in heart, that we would be your children from the inside out. Bless us to be peacemakers, that we would do your work on this earth. And bless us in persecution that we would persevere to the very end with joy and gladness. Jesus, bless us today. Would you bring new life to the one in here that would turn to you by faith? I know that you will. Lord, give him courage to answer your call, to not put it off another day. And Lord, for those who are your children in here, my brothers and sisters, bless us. Eight times over, bless us that we would know your kingdom forever, that we would be your children here. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.